G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. In this edition of Stick Together, we focus on the effect of the privatisation of public services and what that means for workers and users of those services. A recent report commissioned by the Community and Public Sector Union, the CPSU, includes the results of a survey of nearly 1,300 Medicare Centrelink and child support workers employed by the umbrella agency, the Department of Human Services, DHS, and it is showing worrying results for users and workers. We follow this with a word with a worker in a call centre who is experiencing the effects of a corporate approach to workers' rights on site. But first, some union news. The returned Victorian Andrews government has recommitted to industrial manslaughter legislation. At the most recent delegates meeting at the CFMEU Victorian offices, Victorian Treasurer and IR Minister Tim Pallas gave assurances that the Andrews government would introduce industrial manslaughter legislation at the next sitting of the Victorian Parliament. And uh, the most notable thing I've got to say is that the Andrews uh, government sent along the Treasurer to actually thank the union and uh, give us credit for all the assistance uh, the union gave and its members gave to the Andrews government for their re-election. Tim Pallas uh, is the new IR minister as well as the treasurer. He came along and a couple of notable things that he said was not only thank you, because it's not too often that politicians have ever thanked uh, the union, but two, he also gave a very hard commitment to one of the first pieces of legislation coming up next year will be industrial manslaughter. And I think that is probably, other than licensing of trades, one of the biggest issues that we have had uh, in terms of com- uh, conversations with government and getting some serious changes made. In Western Australian news, the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU, reports that the Murdoch University has failed spectacularly in an attempt to obtain urgent court orders muzzling the NTEU from communicating with its members about the treatment of international students and staff at the university. The Western Australian Supreme Court refused an injunction sought by Murdoch University against the NTEU and National Assistant Secretary Gabe Gooding for misleading and deceptive conduct and injurious falsehood. In the ruling against the injunction, Chief Justice Peter Quinlan said the court had to be careful not to unduly stifle freedom of expression or the expression of opinion on matters of public importance. The university took exception to comments made in an article in the Union News Sheet about a university review into international students at the university. The Advocate article followed two stories in the Western Australian newspaper in September titled 
international students at Murdoch University investigated over allegations of cheating and Murdoch University academic voices concern over language skills of international students. The Advocate article highlighted the fact that all staff were not advised of the review and therefore they had no opportunity to make submissions. Instead, just 28 staff were selected to participate and each of them signed a non-disclosure agreement, Mr McGowan said. Mr McGowan being the union's general secretary. Matthew McGowan has called on Murdoch University to explain why it squandered public funds, dragging the NTEU through the courts in an action that would have stifled freedom of speech. McGowan said the Act of Parliament that established Murdoch University requires that it serve the public interest in promoting critical and free inquiry, informed intellectual discussion and public debate within university and society. To attempt to stop publication of an article that reported the concerns of their employees runs counter to the functions of the university. Mr McGowan said Murdoch University must explain the secrecy surrounding the review and make the findings public. Governments must hold the university accountable for spending public funds on pursuing the union for raising legitimate concerns about its operations and the impact on students and staff. The conduct is not only alarming but inconsistent with the function of the university, including promoting critical and free inquiry and public debate. The court found the article was the genuinely held opinion of its author, NTEU National Assistant Secretary Gabe Gooding, so the claim that it was false and misleading was not strong. It said other media reports raising similar concerns made it difficult to see how the Advocate article could damage the reputation of the university. More national tertiary education union news, but from South Australia. More than 200 academic staff at Flinders University will have to reapply for their jobs, according to the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTU, as an ongoing restructure seeks to separate researching roles from some teaching staff. The NTEU released a statement saying that Flinders University management is undertaking a destructive university-wide academic restructure that threatens to jeopardise its proud reputation in teaching and research. Over 200 jobs are affected, accreditation of numerous prestigious courses including medicine and education are at risk and Flinders stand to lose valuable research programs and researchers because of the restructure's flawed basis, according to NTEU. Flinders management expects to complete the massive restructure by Christmas. The restructure was given the green light to proceed at a Fair Work Commission hearing on December the 6th with Commissioner Christopher Platt recommending the organisational change process should continue with some urgency with the aim of all employees being advised as soon as possible of the proposed effect on their position, the conduct of a genuine consultation process, selection processes where applicable and the communication of final outcomes to affected employees. The Commissioner recommended that the University publish final proposed structures for each college by December the 12th and consult with affected staff between December the 14th and 20th. That's a nice Christmas present. 
Last year, the university consolidated 14 schools and four faculties into six academic colleges, making around 200 professional staff and academics voluntarily redundancies in the process. Traditionally, academic staff do both research and teaching in their roles. This move threatens another 200 positions. Staff have accused the university of trying to game the system by seeking to increase its international ranking through a hasty restructure. Associate Professor Melanie Sowell from the College of Humanities, Arts and Social Sciences said the restructure is looking like a disaster for staff, students and the institution. My area of screen and media critical studies is proposed to become a teaching only area, a research free zone. Four positions are proposed to be reduced to two teaching specialist positions at level B and C. This will entail the disestablishment of two senior positions. The Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, the MEAA, reports that in the wake of the Fairfax media takeover, a new corporate structure means 144 positions will go, affecting at least 92 people. The jobs are not in editorial at this stage. The latest announcement comes a week after the Federal Court approved the merger of Fairfax Media and Nine. The merger sees Nine acquire a 51.1% stake in the Fairfax Media business and the Fairfax Media corporate brand absorbed. The new entity will be simply called Nine. Society Melbourne has partnered with Launch Housing to pilot Society Melbourne Training, a program that provides at-risk youth with 6 to 12 months work experience across three social enterprises, a cafe, a food truck and a coffee cart. They believe that the program will build capacity, skills and employability of youth either experiencing homelessness or at risk of being without accommodation. At the end of the program, we will work with the participants to identify options for long-term employment and will assist in managing the transition into these new roles, said Tanil Gilbert, Chief Operations Officer at Society Melbourne. Society Melbourne, formerly Crepes for Change, has secured a $50,000 social investment grant from Community Sector Banking for this program. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Many people believe that Australia's social security scheme is an example of why Australia is the lucky country. However, signs of the system under threat has been surfacing with a new community and public sector union, the CPSU report, outlining the Abbott-Turnbull-Morrison government's five-year attack on Medicare and Centrelink services and the impact of that attack on ordinary Australians who provide and rely on these services. We speak to Assistant Secretary of the CPSU, Melissa Donnelly, about the report's findings. We have been surveying our members and staff at DHS, Centrelink, Medicare and Child Support about the impact of privatisation in DHS and what um, what uh, staff are telling us is 
that there are very significant implications for services um, in terms of uh, what their standard of services that the community are, are receiving. And 80% of the people who participated in our survey um, are telling us that they think uh, the standard of services um, are declining as compared with a few years ago. Now, give us some examples of what that means for real people in the Australian community. Yeah, sure. So one of the um, things the um, coalition government has undertaken is outsourcing of uh, Centrelink call centre functions. So we have um, nearly 3,000 um, staff uh, sitting in Serco and other um, offices providing Centrelink call functions. What um, our members and the staff in the Department of Human Services are seeing is um, when members of the community ring up um, with a question about your family tax benefit or your paid parental leave or um, new start or, or whatever it might be, um, that they, uh, they're they often being answered by these private call centre operators, but they're not in a position um, to uh, provide the assistance that um, the community would expect. So what we're seeing in, in real terms is really high transfer rates. Uh, these private call centres answer the phone faster, so the minister's happy, um, but they're actually not able to provide assistance. And there are quite worrying examples ar- arising where people are giving, being given incorrect information or their claim or, or a processing isn't being done correctly, which can have really significant implications if you are awaiting um, a payment. Now, this is at the same time as the government has been legislated to allow private private companies that are dealing with job help to actually decide if people have their eligibility and having their funds cut off because they've apparently done something wrong. Uh, in the past, of course, DHS would have dealt with that. Yeah, that's right. This is... Um, uh one of a number of ways where, you know, in our view, the, the government is seeking to privatise the social security system in terms of um, the staff who are able to assist you and provide assistance in terms of who's making um, those decisions about eligibility and so on. And, it, you know, it, it's frankly not good enough. Um, if we want a social security system, um, it should be a government-provided social security system. And what we're seeing from this government is that they are... Um, piece by piece, dismantling that. Yeah, but uh, Michael Keenan, the Human Services Minister, says that the report that's come back from, uh, that they've commissioned, from KPMG, another, as you point out, another multinational corporation, has said everything's fine, that the indicators are all there. That's right. So KPMG, another um, big uh, government outsourced recipient, thinks that outsourcing is a good idea. So that's probably not surprising in itself. And and the figures that, that A, the report's secret and they won't release it to the union or, more, or staff. B, the reports that they're relying on is, is the call answer time. So they're saying, well, calls are answered quicker. But what is happening in reality is even if a call is answered quicker, the person in the Serco call centre can't help you. Um, so if you're ringing up, you then sit on another call, wait, wait uh, transfer internally until you can speak to a DHS worker. So it, it is a false economy, really, in terms of actually better service. Have you noticed that uh, many of the people that uh, did used to work for uh, the call centre system and have and before it was privatised, uh, they were DHS workers, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. So the call centre, um, there's still an, a, a um, significant cohort of DHS workers who 
um, are working in call centres. They're called smart centres in DHS. Um, in terms of the private uh, providers uh, doing DHS work, there are examples definitely where uh, there are people who are working for DHS, uh, their job um, isn't continued and then they're offered a labour hire position elsewhere. Really? So uh, basically they're uh, removing DHS workers by stealth and outsourcing them to labour hire? Yeah, that's right. So we have the contract call centres, but we also have labour hire workers uh, working in DHS offices. They're actually undertaking a pilot right now where when you enter a service centre, uh, the first person who comes to assist you, um, to direct you in respect of your query, is not a public servant, it's not a DHS worker. And so what the, the union would say, uh, and others probably, that uh, this change in service orientation is ideological, not actually uh, creating uh, improvements to the system? Absolutely. Um, If the government thought it was creating improvements to the system, then they'd share with us all the statistics that show that. The truth is this is entirely ideological. Uh, What this government has done is cut thousands of jobs, which resulted in huge blowout in wait times, processing times and 55 million unanswered calls. They then have used this as an excuse to outsource and privatise key key functions in DHS. It is absolutely ideological and it's an attack on our social security system. It's an attack on DHS workers. And uh, until uh, we can do something about this government, we will increasingly see private providers uh, providing Centrelink and Medicare services. Now, uh, the multinationals that have been given these contracts have got interesting backgrounds as well, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. Um, CERCO is uh, synonymous um, with government privatisation around the world and there are many stories from the UK and other places about service failures um, when CERCO is involved. The, The truth of it, of course, for the private providers is they're only in it to make a dollar and they do that um, by uh, treating their staff pretty poorly. They pay them uh, low wages. Some of the providers we know um, provide as little as $20 an hour, McDonald's-style wages. So they they treat their own workforce appallingly and they um, push uh, very hard to make, make a profit and that's what it's about for those companies. And our social security system shouldn't be set up for private companies to make profit. So it's a sell-off, uh, bad for services for the ordinary community that is actually in a very vulnerable position and uh, bad for the workers, you're saying? Absolutely. Uh, the, the stories we're already hearing about impacts um, in terms of services to the community are, are really disturbing. Uh, because there are simple things if you're a Centrelink um, client um, that if it's done incorrectly, it can be really problematic for you. If, if you don't have your, your address updated correctly, that may affect your eligibility. It may mean that you don't get a payment, etc. So we're seeing real, very real-world impacts on members of the community. And for the workers, both in these call centres and in DHS, um, it, it, is, it is also a really significant problem. So the government's actually shirking its responsibility, like lack of training, uh, people who are badly affected, who are waiting for payments, could be destitute. That's right, and, and 
there are there are stories emerging of people having very very significant implications. Um, the, the stories we're hearing from uh, DHS workers include uh, people uh, not make people having their eligibility assessed incorrectly, um, urgent payments not um, processed correctly, which which means that they're not processed on time. Uh, people dealing with um, crisis, domestic violence situations, not being able to access payments on time. It is really. Um, uh, absolute abdication of responsibility from the government. We absolutely reject the privatisation of DHS and other public services and the government has uh, time and time again committed itself to that uh, with thousands and thousands of job cuts and increasing privatisation. So our union is committed to working to change the rules and, and uh, get a better, more Stick progressive together. government yeah. in Canberra. Stick together. together. Thanks for talking together. together. Stick together. Thanks very much. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together, the only national program focusing on workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Recently, I had the chance to speak to a worker at a call centre. When the centre was outsourced and the managers came from the corporate sector, the workers began to feel the unreasonable compliance demands becoming all too real. So you work in a call centre? I do. I work in a call centre, um, which is a subsidiary of the Australian National University. And uh, we conduct a whole lot of important social research for government departments as well as NGOs. And uh, we're currently in the middle of a battle with management. Due to the desk policy, um, they've threatened us with legal action. Um, They've accused us of unlawful industrial action in relation to a matter of people having books on their desks or charging their phones at their desks. Um, it's now people would find that quite an unusual sort of thing to be called uh, behaving badly at work by having a book on your desk. Yeah, well, uh, it's com- I mean, it's completely unprecedented to threaten legal action over such a petty matter. Um, people, I guess, have to understand that our job involves a lot of downtime. Sometimes in a shift of five or six hours, you might only be de- conducting an interview for around 15 minutes of that time. Uh, the rest of the time is listening to dial tone and making appointments. Um, when we did protest people being sent home or having their shifts cancelled due to these so-called misdemeanours, uh, as I said, we were threatened with legal action and we were accused of misconduct in relation to the Fair Work Act, which uh, hitherto only really applies to serious matters like theft or assault. We were simply uh, reading at our desks in between calls. Um, There was no restriction or reduction of productivity. Um, And yet our managers, who uh, manage an organisation that operates under the auspices of the prestige of a university, have threatened legal action. And 17 of us have been issued with uh, final warnings and potential termination of employment because we've taken issue with it. Um, And we consider it to be uh, a clear matter of underperformance from management. They just won't listen to any legitimate concerns from employees. I mean, we um, are living in a city where there's just been shootings, stabbings. We have to catch public transport home after dark quite often and yet we're not allowed to charge our phones at our desks. We don't have a charging station in our break room. Um, The employer always pays lip service to the well-being of employees outside of work. We have an employee assistance scheme, and yet we're not allowed to have charged phones when we uh, walk out of the workplace at night. Um, And, yeah, I think overall it's really just um, 
another manifestation of the sort of ethic of privatization and corporatization of previously public sector workplaces. I mean, a lot of public research used to go on in government departments or within universities under strict sort of, um, I guess, quality control and ethics of a public service workplace. And now they're trying to run these McDonald's style operations, um, yet maintain the university prestige and all of the prestige that comes with the government departments and organisations we um, work on behalf of. Um, so we have a union there, it's pretty strong, there's good union coverage, but basically at the moment um, the union's being shut out by management. Uh, I guess the union does it, um, intend to challenge all of the warnings and all of the legal threats that have been made so far by the managers. But you, so you were given uh, one one warning, and it's a final warning. Oh, that's correct. And so were 17 other workers. Um, usually, in most workplaces, uh, final warnings. You usually only get come. three. You usually get three. It's not enshrined in the Fair Work Act anymore. It's not enshrined in the EBA either. Um, but usually, I mean, final warnings are only given due to very serious misconduct matters. Not having a book on your desk, more uh, something like perhaps um, stealing from work or assaulting someone or something that actually merits that type of response. Um, but we just have a management there that's playing the hard line, doesn't want to listen to anyone's legitimate concerns and is quite willing to threaten and intimidate workers. Is this new? Are they new managers? Uh, they've only been there, to my understanding. Uh, they've introduced those two particular managers within the last one or two years. Um, People who have worked in the place a lot longer than I have have noted that there's been a distinct change in the culture of the place. People are very on edge and anxious. They feel like they can't do anything and everyone's treading on thin ice. So I think basically um, the intention of managers brought in from places like Foxtel and who uh, sell themselves on credentials of their expertise in outsourcing, um, the intention of that change in management is to break a union and that's what's going on now. Managers quite often uh, refer to a sort of industry standard argument about paper-free desktops. Uh, we get compared to other operators in the industry like Serco, who are now operating in a lot of the public service industry, um, like the NDIS, Centrelink, um, the ATO. And private prisons. But it's really a race to the bottom argument, because we're working in an industry that's um, basically got a horizon of autom automation. Um, we're getting compared to computers. There's no real um, lowest common denominator when it comes to industry standard arguments because we're basically getting compared to workers in places like the Philippines. Um, it's a race to the bottom and um, we need to protect our rights while we still have them and make sure that we're vocal about it or else we're just going to end up working in sweatshops like um, people are quite familiar with from the third world and um, yeah, we're not going to stand for it. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, and it comes to you through your own community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and also on iTunes, and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 and leaving us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together.